This is Running the Race with Pastor Eddie Pinero of Calvary Chapel of Milford in Milford, Pennsylvania. given us practical. Now, now this is where the rubber meets the road. This is where we're put on the garments of God. Now we practice what we preach. We practice living as Christians. This is where it is, chapter 12. The first thing he gives us, he says, present your bodies. And so we're to present our bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. Paul didn't tell us to make sacrifice, but for us to be a sacrifice. If you've been joining Pastor Eddie in his study through the book of Romans, You've learned a lot about what it means to be a Christian and why Jesus' way of living is different from the world's. Now, today, it's time to put what you've learned into practice. Jesus calls all his followers to not simply learn about life as a Christian, but to actually go out and live it. Set yourself apart from the world for Jesus' sake, being willing to set aside your personal comfort to let others know about the Savior you serve. Well, let's join Pastor Eddie in the book of Romans chapter 12, with today's edition of Running the Race. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercy of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. We'll pause there. Usually we have a length of passages and multiple verses, but there's just so much... I would say gold and treasure and so much practical application here that I think for us would be a good as we already have learned the doctrine, but now to get into the practical. And so we begin with the third section of the book of Romans. The book of Romans is divided into three sections. And by way of review, we saw in chapters 1 through 8, in chapters 1 through 8, the Apostle Paul gave us the doctrine, the doctrine of faith. Because there is sin, because there is condemnation, because we all have sin, every man have sin, as in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, Paul says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And because we all sin, we all deserving a punishment. We all deserve the wrath of God. However, praise God that he has made a way to save man. He has made a way to save man, and it is by faith through his son, Jesus Christ. And because Christ, we can now, we went from condemnation, eternal damnation, to salvation, eternal life. All because of our belief in Christ. And it is known as that theological term, and this is why doctrine is so important, justification by faith. Justification means almost how it sounds, just as if I never sinned. But that could only take place if our faith is in Christ. 
And so it is by faith in Christ and by faith in Christ alone, not of works, not of religion, not of laws, not of rules and rituals, but simply by placing your faith in Christ. Romans chapter 3, verse 28, Paul says, Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deed of the law, separate from the law. And so we are saved by grace through faith. And just as Jesus Christ already completed the work, there's no work that has to be done. The word, Jesus said, telestai, one word in the Greek, for us, it is finished. And that means the completed work on the cross. Jesus died on the cross. He did the complete work of salvation. He didn't didn't stretch out his arms and say, you take it from here. No, it's all done at the cross of Calvary. And so from condemnation to justification, and now we live in sanctification and soon to be glorification as we be with the Lord one day soon. And so in our last study, we completed the second section. The second section are chapters 9, 10, and 11. The second section of the book of Romans is God's dealing with the nation of Israel. Chapter 9 gave us Israel's past. Chapter 10 gave us Israel's present state. And chapter 11 gave us Israel's future. And so we saw with the second section, chapter 9, 10, 11, the love of God and God's sovereignly chosen nation of Israel. We saw his faithfulness to the chosen people, and they're chosen by way of bringing forth the Messiah. And so God's chosen people has rejected God's chosen son, Jesus Christ. And so God, we see right now in chapter 11, that's where we left off, that God has not done away with Israel completely, but right now they're in a spirit of stupor unto the fulfillment of the Gentiles. Paul says in Romans chapter 11, verse 1, He says, I say then, has God cast away his people? And in the Greek means, has God done away with them completely? He says, certainly not. And he proves, he gives the example of himself. He's a Jew. God has not, you know, cast out all the Jews, and he still has a plan. In Romans chapter 11, verse 25, he says, For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fulfillment of the Gentiles has come. And so, though throughout the history of the church, there has been the belief of replacement theology that the church is now the spiritual Israel, We need to be careful with that term. Yes, we're spiritual in the sense we've been grafted in. We call God our Father, but we're not spiritual Israel in the sense that we've replaced Israel. God is not done with Israel. Read the book of Revelation. Read all the prophecies, and we've done that in our study. And so God is not done with Israel. God still has a plan for Israel, and God's going to keep his promise for Israel. He's a covenant-keeping God. Uh, We lie. We don't keep our promises, but God doesn't lie. And then he goes on, the next verse, in Romans chapter 11, verse 26, he says, And so all... Israel will be saved. And so he's speaking of the time will come after when Christ will return with his church and rule and reign in Jerusalem. Now, we find ourselves this morning in the third section of the book of Romans. The third section of the book of Romans is from chapters 12 to 16. Paul, the apostle, has given us the doctrinal, which he does with most of his letters. If you read all the epistles of Paul... Always read it and study in the sense that he's going to give us the doctrine, which is very important. And, you know, many times we want the the how-tos. We want to go to the uh, bookstore and the how-tos, you know. 
But we don't understand the doctrine and theology of it. And that's, that's why we fall. Because the how-tos, the how-tos. But if you understand the science behind certain things, uh, you know, I'm not saying that God, you know, this God created science, but I'm just saying when you understand how it works, then you could be solid in your belief and where you stand. And, it's, and now you are strong enough to do the practical things. And so we find that with all of Paul's epistles. Whenever Paul he gives a deep, profound, doctrinal teaching, he always follows it up with the practical, the very specific, concrete, practical application. And in other words, he addresses the doctrine before he deals with the duty. So belief with behavior. So what we believe and how we behave, how we act. And so because we have seen because we have been justified by faith through Christ. We saw that in the first section. And because we see God's plan, God's mercy, we saw that in God's people to the children of Israel, the nation of Israel. How, we study 11 chapters so far, how shall we live? How do we live from here on in? In light of everything God has done for us, salvation, he made a way, all have sinned. And remember, when we began in the first four chapters as if we were in God's courtroom, if you will. And Paul, he brought everyone to the witness stand. And many, you know, in our history of the church, I mean, history of our country and the universities, you want to study law, they will have you study the first four chapters of the book of Romans. It doesn't happen anymore now, but because he already proved that all of creation intensified God's glory. Everybody was worried about the man in the jungle. What about the man in the jungle? The man in the jungle never heard about Jesus. Well, all of creation testified of his glory. They left without excuse. What about the moralists, those that has morals? Well, we do. If, regardless of how much morals you have, you still sin. You still blow it. What about the people of Israel had the oracles of God? They sin too. So, case in point. All has sinned, all for show of the glory. And because in light of everything we have seen, that we have sinned and God has made a way, how shall we live for Christ? And so here's the practical application. Let's look at verse 1. Verse 1 of chapter 12. Paul says, I beseech you, their brethren. I beseech you, their brethren. He's speaking to brothers and sisters in Christ. And Paul says, I beseech you, I exhort you, I urge you, and I plead with you, and it's a serious consideration because in the Greek, the language is as if, you know, this is serious. And it's like he's grabbing you and saying, listen. And then we're talking about somebody like the Apostle Paul. He's grabbing you and saying, listen, I beseech you, dear brethren, therefore. Before we go anymore, we want to know the word therefore. And it's very important because therefore, the word therefore is the key transition to the whole letter. Okay, whenever you see, for you students of the word, whenever you see the word therefore in your Bible, when you study, always stop and ask yourself, what is it therefore? What is therefore? What Paul is saying, therefore, in light of what Christ has done in the past 11 chapters, therefore, because what he's done in the last seven chapters, he says about, you know, what he has done, God's mercies, and it's through Christ, the doctrine of faith, justification by faith. And the fact that we left off in chapter 11, it tells us we're partakers of the olive tree. All that God has promised to Israel, we've been grafted in. We take of the root. We take of all the blessings. In light of that, therefore, he says, 
I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. The mercies of God. And this is the undeserving kindness of God to all sinners. We don't deserve God's mercy. And Paul already describes God's mercies in the last 11 chapters. We've been through it. How many weeks and probably months we've been through it so far? We've studied enough about God's mercy, and we study doctrine. We study justification by faith and all the good that God has done. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, it says, But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And which the psalmist writes about the fullness of God's mercy. Psalm 145, verse 8. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger, great in mercies. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercy of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And so the first practical service, the first practical service that we now need to apply to our lives, Paul is giving us practical. Now, now this is where the rubber meets the road. This is where we put on the garments of God. Now we practice what we preach. We practice living as Christians. This is where it is, chapter 12. The first thing he gives us, he says, present your bodies. And so we're to present our bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. Paul didn't tell us to make sacrifice, but for us to be a sacrifice. And here it is, what makes it weird, it's a living sacrifice. Does that make sense? A living sacrifice. In other words, we should use our bodies to glorify God. We should use our bodies to serve and obey him. The Greek word here for bodies in the Greek is suma. Suma, it refers to the entire person. It means your total person. Not only your physical body, but your mind and your will. Your mind and your will. So it's not just your physical body. And we are to present our bodies, and that is to offer it up completely. Why completely? Just as Christ gave himself completely. He left this throne in glory to die on the cross for us. He completely offered up his life willingly to obey. He was a living sacrifice. Jesus himself is a perfect picture of what a living sacrifice is. And he set the example, even to death, because the Bible says he was faithful. Even faithful, even to death on the cross, he was faithful. Now, in the Old Testament, the sacrifices were dead. They were dead sacrifices. They had to be slaughtered, they had to be dead. And then, once they killed them, they put them on the altar. But they have to be dead. Because if you don't slaughter your sacrifice... What do you think is going to happen? It's going to want to break free. It's going to want to, you know, it's going to want to go, right? It's going to want to leave the altar. And what would, if you think about that really, and how that applies to us. I know I failed in this. Because there have been many times when I should have died to myself when I accepted Christ as Lord and personal Savior. And I should have stayed on the altar. And set instead, 
I crawled off. And I know we've been there before. It gives us a picture that when we gave our life to Christ, we died to the old man, we died to the old woman. We were no longer the way that, you know, when we come to Christ, we're a new creation. We're no longer the old person. And so we died. Christ died for us. We died. Yet we're still alive because we're still alive in Christ. And we come to the altar of God, and many times we call off the altar, not willing to be a living sacrifice, as Christ himself set the example. And so, see, this is why it's so important for us. The first practical is probably the hardest out of all. And to really surrender your life completely. And that's what it means to surrender your life, your will, your thoughts, and your bodies to God. Now, this living sacrifice, of course, is mentioned twice. We have two living sacrifices mentioned in all of Scripture. Jesus is one in the New Testament, but there is one in the Old Testament. There was a living sacrifice in the Old Testament. We find that in Genesis chapter 22. In Genesis chapter 22, Abraham was at this point about 100 years old, and the Lord finally heard his prayer and gave him a son, a promised one. And so years later down the road, after the Lord blessed Abraham with a son, we're talking about anywhere, scholars say anywhere from, some people went as young as 16 to as old as 33. And so we're not too sure, but at this point, it's totally irrelevant. But we knew he had a son, and the Lord told him. So if he's, if let's say if the lad was 16 or 30 or 33, that means that makes Abraham 116, 133, anywhere within that age. And so the reason why I want to give you his age for, you know, there's a reason. So anyway, the Lord said to Abraham in Genesis 22, verse 2, he says, and then he said, the Lord said to him, take now your son. Now, this is very interesting. Your only son. Does it sound familiar? God, only begotten son. Your only son, Isaac, whom you love. That's the first time you find the word love in the Bible. Go from Genesis 1-1 to Genesis chapter 22, verse, 20, verse 2. It's the first time you see the word love. Take your son, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will tell you. To the land of Moriah. So he takes his son. You're thinking, I said, wait a minute, Lord, I waited a hundred years for a son. My only son, now you want me to sacrifice him. Uh, the argument from Abraham, because he's the father of faith, he believed probably, hey, you know what, if I kill my son, God is going to raise him up again. You know, he gave him to me at 100. He could give it to me, you know, without me and my wife. He could give back my son. And so Abraham took Isaac, and it says that he placed the wood on his son. Another picture, who carried the wood? Jesus Christ. And on his way up to Mount Moriah, Mount Moriah, by the way, is the same place as we call Calvary, Golgotha. It's Mount Moriah. It's the same location. Same location. So God is giving Abraham a picture of what he himself would do years down the road. You know, he's going to give his only begotten son, whom he loved. For God so loved the world on that very mountain. But I want us to focus on the living sacrifice here. In Genesis 22, verses 78, Isaac is now asking his father. But Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. Then he said, Look, the fire, the wood. But where's the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham didn't say, well, I got good news and bad news. He said, my son, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering. Faith. 
It didn't make sense to Abraham to take his only son, but that's what happens with faith. You don't apply logic or common sense. You just go ahead and be faithful. And so God is giving him a picture. And so the two went and met together. And so if you read the whole story, it's incredible how it gives a perfect picture because Abraham went up, before he went up to the mountain, he has two servants. Jesus was crucified with who? With two on the cross. His two servants said, wait here, the lad and I will be back. <laughs> he even had faith that he was going to come back with his son. And so Isaac now, you, he, here's what I want to point out is that Isaac was young and healthy. He's about 16 to 33 years old. His dad, his old man, you know, he's about 116, 133. So he's thinking, you know, my father's losing it right about this time. Yeah, I know he loves God. He has faith, but he's tying me up. <laughs> he's, he's, what is he doing? And you're talking about, you know, dysfunctional families today. You go in the Bible, these guys need therapy. I mean, after that, you would think, my father tied me up. And so you would think, but here's the amazing thing about it. Isaac, he didn't argue with his father. He didn't wrestle with him. He didn't rebuke him. And even more incredible is that Isaac didn't utter a word, didn't say one word. The Bible doesn't mention he mentioned one word. He asked the question before he went to the altar. He was obedient. He saw his father was obedient. He followed his father. He worshiped and served the same God. But he was silent. And the reason why he was silent is because God knew that he is blessed with his son Isaac that also would be a man of God, that also would trust in the Lord, and also would be a perfect picture of who Jesus Christ was. Because Jesus didn't say a word. He was silent like a lamb who went to the slaughter. And this is the picture. But all that to say is that Isaac was willing to be a living sacrifice. A living sacrifice. Saints, whenever we have anything practical, whenever this, the Bible gives us instructions and in how we to live ought to live, there's perfect examples in the Bible of those that went before us and have done, been through the same thing you've been going through, everything you've gone through, but was able to be victorious by following and being faithful to the Lord. Jesus set the example of dying for the world, being obedient, not my will, but your will be, you'll be done, my Lord. And so we, the same way, this is what being a living sacrifice is. And so because Isaac was willing to offer, present himself to be a living sacrifice, the Lord has used this as a picture. And that's why when Jesus met the Pharisees, he says, before Abraham I was. He said, Jesus said, they saw, they saw my day. Abraham saw my day. He said, Abraham saw my day, and he rejoiced. When he see the day of the Lord, when he was up there, almost sacrificed his own son. God gave the picture. You see, Abraham, you almost sacrificed your son. Your son was almost a living sacrifice. You know, my son, I'm going to send him. He's my only son, and he's also going to be a living sacrifice. So we have two. And why this is so important, because... When we see this, we see that this application applies to us. Pastor Eddie Pinero has been digging into the book of Romans with us here on Running the Race. We hope you've been encouraged by what you've heard today and that you're eager to learn more about Jesus. If you'd like to listen to more messages by Eddie, visit our website at runningtheraceradio.com. There, you'll also find a link to our podcast where you can subscribe to receive up-to-date messages each time they're available. 
If you're in the New York, New Jersey, or Pennsylvania area, why not come be a part of our weekly worship service? We gather each Sunday at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. and again on Wednesday at 7 p.m. for Bible study, worship, and getting to know each other better. Find more information at runningtheraceradio.com. Right now, Tracy has some information about how you can be a part of the ministry here at Running the Race. Radio programs like Running the Race are wonderful tools that God uses to advance His kingdom here on earth. And as with any ministry, there are expenses involved. Today's broadcast was professionally produced, and God has given us a vision to see Running the Race expand throughout the tri-state area. Would you prayerfully consider financially supporting Running the Race? Log on to runningtheraceradio.com and simply click on the Give option to help us continue to grow. Thanks, Tracy. There's much more to learn from the Book of Romans on the next edition of Running the Race.